Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. couple of games this weekend that I think we should probably talk about. The World Series is split at a game apiece. Extra innings, JT Realmuto in game one. Uh, parked it, short porch. That was what? That, would it dong in like five, six ballparks? One of which absolutely Yankee Stadium. And then yep. the Astros, uh, they get their vengeance in game two. They win game two, five, two. So now the series shifts back to Philly. We want to talk about games one and two. We're going to talk about game three to come tonight. This is a Just Baseball show. Happy Halloween. Spooky season. Monday, October 31st. Aram, who dressed as Shaggy out of social obligation. Yeah. Peter, what did you dress as? I was the dude, the big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Great thing is, all I had to do, go to Target, get myself some pajama pants, pair it with a cardigan I have, throw on a white t-shirt, a little glass, a little ice in it, a little white Russian, bang. Hilarious costume, so much love, didn't put in any effort. Do How you, much more ideal could you get? Do you enjoy white Russians? Eh, not They're really. very heavy. I can do yeah. one, and that's about it. I did one. So one of my old college roommates was was the dude with the sign, sunglasses, mm. and he was holding up his sign, and it said, Another good top, one. he said, the sign said, your Top Gun costume sucks, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. I loved that so much. And his girlfriend dressed as Top Gun, which was phenomenal. I so love that. Yeah. that does that does kind of hurt me though, because in college I think I was Top Gun three years in a row or something oh, like that. Dude. Or maybe not three. Maybe See that two, the, my, my problem with the Top Gun outfit is that's one of those where it's like you're probably like you're trying to look good as a guy. Like I, I don't know. I feel that's like my you're, thing, you're, though. you're trying to look solid, which it would just fine, but yeah. like I, I feel like if you're going to dress as a guy for Halloween, you just look stupid. You go to the Air Force Hall- pilot. <laughs> you go to Spirit Halloween and you get the Top Gun like jumpsuit freshman year. And then what am I going to spend more money on another costume? No, oh, that's just fair. Work that's it? Fair. You know what that's I'm saying? Fair. I think fair. it's fair. Yeah, actually. Good job, me. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, borrowed great. my roommates. I borrowed my roommates. And Shaggy is just green shirt and whatever pants. Like I was like, are people actually going to know that? And people did. So free outfit. <laughs> I will probably never dress again. Um, it's the first time I've dressed in like 10 years. I was like the kid that put the baseball jersey on every every Halloween. Yeah. Uh, not a big Halloween guy. So uh, I, <laughs> I I sent you a text. I said, um, you know, I can see eight-year-old Aram saying that he wants to dress up as Jeremy Hermita because he has a 975 OPS in double A this year. And he's one yes. of the top prospects in baseball. Yeah. You said that you have a story that's somewhat close to that. <laughs> uh that that one might be for another time but okay no, i 
I, I will say basically since I was five years old, my mom used to try to get me to dress up as different things. I'd rip off the costume every single year and throw a fit. And finally, the way that she was able to get me to, to dress up was like, oh, you want to be a baseball player? Like dress up as a baseball player. Then it was 2005. I loved that Marlins team. Yeah. And and Hermita probably would have been in the, in the running if he was up at that point. But ultimately, I, I'm pretty sure I decided to dress up as Juan Encarnacion before they traded him. I ended up settling Fire. for Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell was, right, was my guy. And he was yeah. horrible that year. Look at Mike Lowell's 2005 stats. Look <laughs> at Mike Lowell's 2005 stats. Did you do the Sharpie goatee? Yes. I, I'll um, try and dig it up who, somewhere. You know who you should have dressed up as? You should have put like a sheet on and like cut holes out, look like a ghost, and then wrote like Sanchez on the back for Sixto. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. That would have been good. All right. He's, we'll, he's coming back next year. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. He might throw it like 80 miles an hour next year at 80 some point feet, 80 feet first then mm-hmm. 90 feet then 75 miles an hour then 85 then yeah. rehab then back 2025 ish the progression we'll get to the world series oh, just, in a moment yes yeah absolutely <laughs> um we're gonna get to the world series here in a minute but first we want to talk about two contractual things with the st louis cardinals um nolan arenado opted into the remainder of his contract which huge I think is a good move for him. Obviously mm-hmm. great for the Cardinals. I think it's a good move for him. And then Adam Wainwright said he is returning for his final season of major league baseball in 2023. I think it's about $18 million uh, that he opted into. I don't have that number off the top. The number that I do have off the top and I'll grab the Wayno number in a moment, but let's start with Arenado. He just opted into five years and $144 million running through his age 37 season, I do believe. It's age 32 through 36. So 2023, next year, he's 32 years old. He finishes in 2027 in his age 36 season. So he may sign like a two-year deal after that. We shall see. Um, My thought is, okay, great for the Cardinals because now you have some answers here. Arenado is your third baseman for the next four or five years. Jordan Walker, you know, is going to have to play outfield. So you tell him that as he finishes up the Arizona Fall League and you tell him that going into spring training, hey, you have a chance to get up right away if you're playing right field. Um, And also, I don't think the market would have been better than five for 144 for Arenado. Mm -hmm. Do you think it would have been? Here's my thing. I feel like it would have, right? I'm not saying it was a bad decision. I think it was a great decision for decision. It's like the Cardinals got the best of both worlds, right? They get their their all-time Hall of Famer third baseman back for five years, 144. But after this, he proved that in St. Louis, there was no Coors effect, and that now I thought he could have gotten a Semyon-type contract or something like that. If I was Nolan Arenado, I would have at least tested the open market, right? Because maybe then you could get a bigger deal from the Cardinals. Um, But he's obviously developed a relationship there in St. Louis, and I think he was like, you know what? The deal's right in front of me. It's still a ton of money. It's not like five years, 144 is chump change. It's still an incredible deal. But would we have been surprised if someone offered Nolan Arenado seven for 160 mm-hmm. or something like that? I don't think we would have. No. But, you know, for 16 million, you got to test and and to build that relationship there in St. Louis. thought it was fine. But if I was Nolan Arenado, I would have opted out. Yeah. I, I, so here's the one thing that I think is interesting to this is, you know, I, I wonder if, the Cardinals said, hey, if you opt into this, like 
we're going to keep adding, right? Or, or we're going to make some moves. We're going to try to be competitive. And, you know, we see it in other sports, baseball, not as much because you don't have the strict salary cap uh, that you have to have that that flexibility with. But if the Cardinals sat down with Arenado and said, hey, if you opt in, you know, we are going to try to make some more moves. The reason why I say that, Adam Lane writes $10 million of his deal for next year's deferred. So that gives them a little bit more flexibility as well. I mean, we know this team's got to be disappointed with how things went, but they also have to feel really good about what they've got moving forward. Uh, yes, you you lose Yachty and Albert, but in some ways I think that gives them a little bit more flexibility. Albert was great. Yachty, more of a liability there. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if that was part of it. But from Peter's perspective, I agree. Like at 36 years old, I still think Arenado is going to be a good contributor. And if he's even 70% of what he is now at 15 million in that final year of the deal, that's definitely a bargain. 27 even a million at, at age 35 is a bargain as well. But the next two years, he's making 35. And I don't know if he would have beat that average annual value-wise, but he, I think he would have made more on the back end. Ultimately, he gives the Cardinals the opportunity to you know be a little flexible, I think, and spend some money elsewhere. Yeah, two things. One of the reasons why I think that Nolan Arenado could have gotten more money is because fucking Josh Donaldson is still making 20-plus million dollars doing his bullshit. Number two, Arm, I agree with you. Um, about the St. Louis aspect, but aren't they kind of supposed to add? Like they're the St. Louis Cardinals. I feel yeah. like going into that, like it's nothing you said I, I disagree with. It's just if I'm Nolan Arenado, you should expect the Cardinals to add regardless of if they give you a six, seven-year deal in the open market, right? You're the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, no, it's that's fair. So what I will say is you go through the courting process, right? In free agency, you are courted. You are told these great things. How many times have you stepped into a situation that is not as great as what was pitched to you when they are trying to sell you on something, right? Chris so, Bryant and the Rockies. So there we go. So. I, how about <laughs> Robbie Ray in Seattle, right? That guy didn't even crack the postseason rotation after he signed his five-year $110 million deal. And a lot of that is on Robbie Ray. Like you can perform your way to the expectations, but- They give you all the chances that you could get with Robbie Ray. Correct. With Arenado, he knows he likes St. Louis. That's exactly. a really big deal. You know what I mean? Like there are That's people the point. that sign these free agent deals that hate it. I yeah. mean, I'm thinking if you have five years, 144, you know you're going to be on a team that is competitive through the duration of the entire deal. You like what's going on on the farm. You like the guys that you're around, and you love playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Just do it. So, well, yeah. No, I was going to say one other interesting clause in it, too, because the contract's unique that he signed. And then, of course, the trade that was actually needs to go down as one of the worst trades in the history of Major Horrible. League Baseball. And Horrible. after the season that he just had, assuming that he continues to perform, that, that trade between the Rockies and the Cardinals is absolutely atrocious. Prospect-wise, they get very little. Not only that, they kicked in $35 million, Yep. Right. The Rockies somehow <laughs> were convinced to kick in $35 million yep. for a week return on top of it, which blows my freaking mind. So beyond that, as part of the stipulation of the $35 million going uh, to either Arenado or or the Cardinals, if Arenado opts out, $20 million would go directly to Arenado. If he doesn't opt out and opts in, $4 million for each of the next five, five years, amounting to $20 million, would go to the Cardinals. So again, maybe they have a conversation and say, you don't opt out. We're just going to continue to invest more money back into the team here. But that is, you know, I don't think we've revisited this one yet. After the season that he just had, that is one of the worst trades in Major League Baseball history. The jury might still be out, though, in Austin Gobber. 
I like Gomber, but like, dude, like, come on. So I'm, but I'm that's just, the best piece they got. Yes, right. That's I'm, the point. I'm trying to picture like what John Mosellock was saying on the phone. Like that Arnado guy fucking sucks. We'll take him <laughs> off your hands. Yeah. yeah, you gotta pay us to do it, but like. Kick us 35 and we'll take the chance, man. They were probably like, his WRC plus isn't that good there. And the Rockies are like, what's WRC plus? Yeah. It's like, don't worry about it. It's just some <laughs> stupid stat. Like <laughs> some nerd stat. Don't worry blows. about it. But he blows. sucks in it. So you guys should actually trade him. It would make you guys look very analytical. And they're like, you know what? We're in and we'll pay you. Thanks for giving us this stat we just found out about. <laughs> I don't want to pay for soda ever again. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So I, I guess a two-parter with Nolan. Um Arenado will have played at the end of this contract seven years in St. Louis, um, eight years in Colorado. If he were to retire at the end of this contract, I don't think he does. What hat does he wear in Cooperstown? I think St. Louis. Yeah. Unless things go really bad because that relationship really soured in Colorado. It seems like, um, and that was part of the reason why I think they lost a lot of that trade leverage, which still, even with no leverage, it, you if you handed them, I'd I'd rather have the thirty five million and get no prospects uh, than what they got. So I, yeah, I mean, and I'm not kidding. Um, and I feel bad saying that about the group of players. Taking up roster spots, yeah. I, I would actually take none than Tony Losi and and the other guys as well. Uh, Alaris Montero's all right, but yeah, no, I I think he goes in as a Cardinal with the way things went with the Rockies. I also think, you know, he's going to continue to put up good seasons and they're going to make the playoffs, right? Like, I don't know if they're going to win a world series. I think they could win one very obviously before he turned, before he turns 36, right? Before 2025 more cracks. Future looks really bright. Um, but even just making the playoffs and being competitive, which we know they're going to be maybe the entire time he's there. I think that's going to be enough for him to go in as a Cardinal. Also, he's going to get bit by that fan base, the bug, and just kind of become, I think, a St. Louis Cardinals guy yeah. uh, by the time it's all done. So the more we, the more we talk about this, and maybe I'm just a selfish money grubbing guy. You would have gotten 20 more million if you opted out, and you would have been able to test the open market after that season. Arenado, what are you doing? Right? Oh, what am I missing here? Like he just really likes St. Yeah. Louis, and yeah, then he really, really likes that's, He's not greedy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no, and it, it's funny though because there's this line, right? Like we we applaud, or I don't know if we applaud athletes for sticking to their roots if they really like this place, taking less money in order to help the team. But then sometimes, you know, we bag on guys who just take the best overall dollar. So I we should be applauding Nolan Arenado yeah. for doing this. It is better for the St. Louis Cardinals, but there is that money-grubbing, selfish Peter sitting here being like, Arenado, like, you missed out on probably $40, $50 million to give a good handshake to the Cardinals and hoping that they will make the big free agent splash when I don't know if it's coming. But they can allocate it elsewhere. That's the big thing. And, and who? Like J.A. Happ? So he's still a free agent. <laughs> this takes me to the next point. You you whip around the diamond. The catcher is Yvonne Herrera, Kinzer, or a, a free agent. I I'll bet you they get agent. a catcher, but well, yeah, that's for another. That's for offseason stuff. Yeah, Sean Murphy. He's just sitting there. So okay, let's say opening day twenty twenty four. A catcher that's not on the roster but is good. Paul Goldschmidt at first, Tommy Edmond at second, Mason Wynn at short, Arenado at third. Let's put Walker in right, Carlson in center. Who in left? O'Neal. Oh, Newt Tom, Bar. O'Neal. Newt Bar. O'Neal. 
And then on the bench, you've got Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Alec Burleson. That That's fucking loaded. loaded. It's they loaded. Make a trade. loaded. Make a trade, man. They got to make a trade. They and still with have J-Mont more guys at the top of the rotation. And <laughs> but here's here's honestly what we're what we're looking at here. I mean, this is a rotation that at some point in 2024. Maybe you got to wait a little bit longer for Tink Hence, but but in 2024, you're going to have Graceffo up. Tink Hence is very close knocking on the door. They got to spend on starting pitching. They yeah. have to spend on starting pitching. And I hope well, they, they get do. Steven Matz back next year. I want Carlos Rodon to be a St. Louis Cardinal. So I do too. Bad. It felt like it should have happened already, right? I, 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 like last year. I, I think it could happen. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like a Rocky. <laughs> Um, I would love that. Yeah, next, I would love that. Next year is the last year of Adam Wainwright. He he confirmed that one year, $17.5 million. And before you say, wait, that's way too much money for a 41-year-old pitcher. What's the line? One F4 is equivalent to $8 million, right? Yeah. Generally. Yeah. So Adam Wainwright, and, this year, in, in a down year as opposed to his 2021, he was a 3.8 F4 guy last year. He was a 2.8 F4 guy this year. So, dude, in his influence. million. His influence on the rest of the rotation, too. I mean, yeah. he's like almost that feels like he's a player manager at this point. And yeah. good for Adam Wainwright. He kind of got a going away party in essence last year, and then he gets another one this year. If I'm Adam Wainwright, I love it. Yes. Get paid, <laughs> chill, throws 87, get some guys out. And he knows that and if they get bounced early, he can just hop on Fox again. Yeah. And I will say, like, I, I do think the numbers were really, really solid this year up until those last three starts. He gives up 14 earned runs because he had dead arm and he was trying to pitch through it. Uh, or, or he actually spoke more to it in that thread, you know, where he talks about the specifics that were wrong with his mechanics and he didn't pick it up until, you know, really after the season apologized and like issued the transparency, which was super cool. Um, cool. You look at the rest of the year. I mean, he was pretty spectacular. Ryan Finkelstein wrote something on our website you know, on JustBaseball.com, kind of talking about what he has been able to do and how good he's looked this year uh, over most of the season. But, you know, if you get 175 innings, like we can be conservative here, assuming he naturally ages a little bit next year. If you get 175 innings at a high three ZRA and all of the intangibles that you get from Wainwright, I'd pay $20 million for that. I really would. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even think that's – yeah, I would too. I, I think – beyond the numbers Adam Wainwright is worth $8 million if he never pitches. And then if he does pitch and he gives you good production and we're talking good production. And just eats innings. Yeah. Yeah, He's 200 innings. Even give me 175 at a four, two ERA and just keep me in ball games. That's worth eight mil. No doubt. Absolutely do it. Um, Andrew Heaney got paid a hundred, 10 million. Yeah. But Heaney was really good. Yeah. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah, he was really good. That's so. so annoying. We'll see what they want to do. All right, World Series. Game <laughs> World one, Series. then game two, double talk game three to wrap. Game one, 6-5 Philly in 10. JT Real Muto with the backbreaker in the top of the 10th inning, but Houston jumped ahead really early. Um, they got to Nola, and then all of a sudden, Verlander crumbled again here. These are two starting pitchers that we we know how good they are. We know how talented they are. Verlander, I mean, it's kind of set in stone that he crumbles in the World Series now, right? He's got an ERA over six in in eight career World Series starts. Crazy, crazy stat. Um, shoot, my phone's over there. I want to credit it. After I say the stat, I'm going to go get the I'll tweet find and it. find it. I'll Good, find yeah. It. So if Madison Bumgarner came in oh, and I didn't see that. the game of the World Series 
and allowed 23 straight home runs without recording it out, he would have a lower World Series ERA than Justin Verlander. You heard me right. I'm going to say it again. If Madison Bumgarner came in and allowed 23 home runs in a row without recording it out, he would still have a lower ERA in the World Series than Justin Verlander, whose ERA just got raised to 6.09. He is now 0-6 nice. because he didn't get the decision. He didn't get a loss in that game. Yeah. Um. But I got to say, when Kyle Tucker hit that first home run, there was a small pit in my stomach that said, shit, Astros in four. But I think the ability for the Phillies to come back in that game plus the bullpen doing so well. How about Jose Alvarado coming in in a big spot after Aaron Nola? How about Sir Anthony Dominguez giving you almost two innings, one and two-third, striking out three? Ranger Suarez, also with one of the coolest plays I've ever seen with that Alex Bregman ground ball back to him where he just flips it into his hand. Yeah. Not only was that just an awesome play, but just to have the confidence and the swagger and the low heart rate in order to do that in such a big spot was amazing. Zach Eflin, again, gave him a good st- start. And David Robertson closed the door. I mean, that's – if if you're – if if you told me in game one, Aaron Nola would go four and a third and allow six hits and five earned runs and the Phillies would win, I would call you crazy. But yeah. that's how good the Phillies can be. And But then they just couldn't get it in game two. But we'll talk about that in a second. Well, so one thing I want to jump right into is you talk about the bullpen. And one question I had going into this, and I was excited to find out, is how does Rob Thompson manage the bullpen? How he's gonna to have to get creative to match the the depth and and the bullpen just wherewithal that the Astros have. And guess what? He got creative. Mm-hmm. You know, he got creative in game one. And I think that's a big reason why they won. Going to Ranger Suarez was a was a tough decision. And even those two outs that Suarez gets you really helps bridge the gap to Dominguez and Robertson because they go one and two thirds from Dominguez. And then, of course, Robertson shuts the door, like Peter mentioned, like they had to bridge that gap and they didn't really have anybody to do it. It was either going to be Eflin going two full innings or going to someone you're not as comfortable with. They go with Suarez. He does a good job. Now they got to get creative with game three, which we'll get to with now Syndergaard pitching when it would have probably been Ranger. But I don't know if they get that win without Ranger bridging the gap. Every out is so important. And you might look at the box score and be like, oh, he only threw two thirds of an inning. Those were arguably two of the most important outs to get to those lights out guys in the back end. It was the bottom of the eighth inning. Yeah. I loved the feel of of what Rob Thompson was able to do there to to get it over to Dominguez and then Robertson. Yeah. Just, I loved what Thompson was doing. I mean, such a good job because he wasn't saying, you know, maybe if we were down, like, let's get on to tomorrow. It's like, Bring in Jose Alvarado, who may be your eighth inning guy, but we need him to get out lefty bats. Bring him in now in the fifth inning. Like th- those kinds of decisions are what wins you ball games. Yes. Instead of saying, "Oh, we're down right now," or you know, it's close. Like let's go to a less than high leverage arm, and so we can save these guys for the end of the game. No, we need outs now. These are the most important outs of the game. Rob Thompson recognized that, attacked, and it's a big reason why they ended up winning the game. What I love that Rob Thompson is doing is he acknowledges the bullpen ace and not the closer, right? David Robertson is the third best reliever in that Phillies bullpen. That is very cut and dry, but he's got a bullpen ace in Alvarado and a bullpen co-ace in Dominguez, much like the ace in Wheeler Dominguez and the co-ace the in Nola. Yeah, true. Okay, no, so you got we're, ace we're and co-ace, right? We're splitting so, hairs. 
here you are going to Alvarado in the first high leverage moment. That is very Terry Francona of him, yep. right? I mean, it's True. it's going to your best arm in the situation that warrants it. And I think that's a lot cooler than being a ninth inning guy. Hearing somebody like an Alvarado or like an Andrew Miller in 2016 say, I don't mm -hmm. fucking care if I get the ninth or not. I want the best hitters in the biggest moment, and I'm yep. going to put us in the best position to win. That's badass. And, Give me and the most important the, outs. The most important outs is what you should be doing. It doesn't have to be the ninth inning. And how about the fact that, you know, you look at it from the offense's perspective, right? So you're down five zip. Phillies get three back in the fourth. And then you end up getting two more back in the fifth. And it's just kind of that vote of confidence and like, hey, we're going to keep this deficit where it is, or we're going to keep the Astros at five runs. I'm going to go to the bullpen ace early in this game or one of our best relievers early in this game because I've, I trust the offense. I believe in you guys. And I think I kind of gave the hitters the right message too of like, take care of what you need to take care of. We're going to keep these Astros at five. And guess what? They don't score another run after the third inning because of the way that they managed the bullpen and the way that the bullpen was able to perform. So, uh, you know, the offense picked up their end. They closed the gap. It was tough to score. They didn't score inning six through nine because guess what? The Astros bullpen is really good, but they wore them down and, and they got to them in the town with that JT home run, which is all they needed was one swing. And yep. Thompson gave them a chance. You know, I, I, I we were all kind of like, oh, is this going to be, you know, a, kind of a, a, a quick game where it's you know out of reach very early? Could have got that way, but they limited the damage and then the offense climbed back in. And you feel like this Phillies team is just never out of it. And and that's why I think no matter what, the Astros are better, obviously, on paper. But this is just going to be a good series no matter what because they're never out of it. By the way, it was Christopher Scott that had the Bumgarner thing. Uh, Christopher Scott is name on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. They, they did not fall out of it. But I kind of had that same feeling in my gut as Peter did. And it wasn't after the first Tucker homer. It was after the second Tucker homer. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, here we go. I know I threw him out as, as a sneaky World Series MVP pick. I think one of you guys concurred on that just because he's been a little too quiet. Way too and quiet. He's so good against right-handed pitching. And, and Kyle Tucker had a game to remember in game one, but JT Romuto had the swing that everybody's going to remember from game one. And that just snuck over the right field wall. Game two. Astros got the win. They evened it 5-2. They evened the series 1-1 with a 5-2 win. Um, before we dive into what I know we will love to talk about, right? Tackiness and, and substance and all that. I do want to shout out the god, Pat Hoberg, who has been killing it every yes. single time he's behind the plate this year. Everybody sees it on the world stage in the world series. And here he is uh, ripping the first perfect game recorded by umpire scorecards. How about that? They started doing this in 2015 and Pat Hoberg had the first perfect game in the world series. Yeah. I'm talking like any game here. How about this note from Jason Benetti? Obviously great stuff with the White Sox. And he was doing um, the Peacock broadcast is uh, broadcast on Sunday morning. He said, before our Mets-Marlins game on Peacock in June, one of the first things Buck Showalter said to our crew with genuine eagerness was that he was excited to watch the plate umpire work. He'd heard so much about his accuracy. <laughs> that umpire was Pat Hoberg. This guy is the king. The best performance in the World Series so far. Dude. He, it's he, Pat Hoberg, then it's Kyle Tucker. Perfect game, Pat perfect Hoberg. Perfect game. Gold Felix Hernandez-esque. 
And this is why I'm nervous about the automated strike zone and challenge calls, because I love the idea of human error and I love rewarding a guy that does this. And, and the problem is like, there are way more anti Pat Hobergs than there are that's, Pat Hobergs. That's the problem is that he's one of one. Yeah. Like, but he's the only real, I mean, there's a couple other guys. There are some good like umpires. Dude, like I James need boy. I think he was game one. What is, is it? James Hoy. I know it's H O Y E. I think yeah. that's how you pronounce yeah. his last name. He was really good too. I mean, the World Series umpires have been great, but in May, between Royals, Tigers, and the guy puts up an eighty-seven percent scorecard, like he, then you're like, eh, we may need these robots. But overall, it doesn't take anything away from Hoberg's performance. I, I need someone out there, someone listening to this. I I swear we'll we'll hire you on the spot as <laughs> as a video editor if you can make a fire Pat Hoberg edit of like all of these borderline <laughs> calls that he just nails, just like strike or like a ball that's right on the edge and he doesn't take the bait right or a check swing he doesn't even need help if someone can chef up a really really fire pat hoberg at it and get that to us um you know i'd like Let's to have talk. a discussion <laughs> and yeah. i think it makes it even more difficult too because um you know framber's got nasty stuff with the curveball and the sinker you know wheeler's got three pitches you got multiple bullpen arms throwing in cheese too it's hard to keep adjusting but pat hoberg did it what yeah. a performance. There were there was one at bat. It was Framber and he was just missing off the outside corner. A couple pitches in a row. It was like started a guy OO with a sinker just off the outside corner. Pat Hoberg lays off. 1-0. Fastball just off the outside corner. Maldonado obviously just purling the frame job and Pat Hoberg just stoic. That's as the fuck. other thing, too. Two of the <laughs> biggest con artists, you know, in the most positive yeah, way possible. Dude, JT of Maldonado. The best Two of the best liars there are when it comes yep. to framing. Like JT and Maldonado are trying to fool umpires with the best of them. You're not getting it by Hoberg. It's just not happening. I love don't even bother shit. framing. Save I your love- wrist. Like save the ligament energy. I don't know. I love calling the good pitch framers straight up liars. Ryan Styles, <laughs> like, our friend. If that, you're uh, really good at receiving the ball and turning balls into strikes, you're just lying to the public. It's it's Dicks. dishonest. <laughs> Ryland is Ryland Styles locked on Royals. I, that will forever be one of my favorite bits that I, I've heard from anybody. But seriously, though, to, to be able to do what he did with the way that those guys are framing is is, is pretty impressive, and uh, you know makes it fun when when you don't have to point towards you know something of like oh the game would have went differently if this happened or if we had a good umpire this or that. And uh, this was another one that was a little bit more one sided. But even in this one, like when I thought the Phillies would kind of fold, they hung around just enough oh, they and did. They it was still it a game all the way to the end like they they made it they made it a game well arm the game would have gone differently if framber valdez didn't have fucking super glue on both of his hands <laughs> <sighs> i didn't tweet anything i i wanted to yell at a lot of people on twitter and i was Me like no too. You're, you're gonna enjoy your saturday you're, you're, not, you're gonna ignore I, it peter you go first because we mutilated you last night i'd like <laughs> i'd like the record to show that I did not bring up this conversation. I haven't mentioned it one time. It is Jack who brought it up. Just yes. want the record to yes. show that. That's on record. gone through the whole episode without mm-hmm. me saying a singular mm-hmm. word. Dude, mm-hmm. we have a baseball podcast. This up. is what people want to talk about. This is what All people I'm want saying, to hear about. I just don't want any responsibility for bringing it up. I'll talk about it. Don't want any responsibility for bringing That's it up. I brought it up. Am I good? I, I'm good. I, you're great. No, Peter, you you are not in the in the wrong here whatsoever. Um, you are you are in good graces with me, Jack. On the other hand, um, we'll have a conversation after this episode. But I, I just I I, I don't actually, know how many people want to fucking hear about this, bro. I'm I don't know making... how many people fucking. I don't think that many people care. I don't because Rob Thompson literally said 
who he's the manager yes. of the team that would have been the victim of this, yes. by the way. So probably candidate number one to care said, I don't care. So maybe so we shouldn't care. Listen, listen to this for a second. So I'm, I'm at a Halloween party, but the baseball game is on. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting in my dude costume on the couch while party's on. I'm just locked in on the baseball game. And there was a couple instances where, you know, I'm not, I don't take each individual thing and then start freaking out or whatever. So what I saw is that Framber Valdez was continually going to his right hand. Fine. Maybe sweat, rosin. Okay. Changes his cleats. Okay. Kind of weird. I don't know how that affects cheating, but kind of weird. Changes his glove. Kind of weird. Like just kind of a bunch of weird things. Then it starts getting into, and then also on top of it, these curveballs look like they're from the depths of hell. But again, framber has been throwing these types of curveballs all year. So it's like, okay. But they look a little nastier. I don't think you could ever, but but maybe that's just heat of the moment, whatever. So there was a lot of little things. And then what really I tweeted out, because I never came out with a stance or anything. I came out with, hmm, when Codify posted the video of Framber not just wiping his right arm, like aggressively going on his pants before he went to check. And I thought, okay. That's interesting. And then I looked at, because there was, you know, a tons of video from Astros people too, being like, send this video to an idiot fan who thinks that Framber is cheating when they checked his hand. And then I watched the video and I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'm also taking this too far. Maybe I've had a couple too many white Russians. Yes. And he goes like this. He touches his left hand, his pitch hand, which is not the hand that had the sticky stuff. And it is also not the hand that he wiped onto his pants. So when everything kept going on and people are accusing Framber of cheating, I was the one person in the group chat. Well, first, for looking into it, I was accused of accusing Framber Valdez of cheating, which couldn't yeah. have been further from the truth. Yeah. I think it was the other people in our group chat also enjoying a white Russian or two, just oh, coming yeah. at me with full force and uh, everything that they could, yeah. which is fine. I understand it. It's sports at the end of the day. It's about talking shit, and I love it. But I didn't think it was insane to consider that a team who does have the 2017 championship. That's where you got me. That's where you triggered me. Yeah, that's where it hurts. Hold on. Hold on. Let me finish. The 2017 cheating scandal is there. There is the Diaz leaning into the pitch, which is there. There is the bat thing, which I thought was weird. But also, I didn't put a lot of stock into that because – the video that everyone's accusing Maldonado that base hit through the second base, like that was hit probably 78 miles an hour. And like, it was just an in-betweener. Like if that bat made that hit go through, I don't think it did, but there was just a lot of little things. And what I was thinking in my head is I wouldn't put it past Framber Valdez to be using a sticky substance. I wouldn't put it past him, but at the same time, like, just because like, Wheeler why, wasn't caught why? Because Wheeler he not. wears because he wears Astros across his chest. Yeah, that's like, the thing. That's, he was in I the minor leagues when when they cheated. Like I'm it, not. Yes, and I'm not. I'm just saying that within a organization that gets it tries and good for them every single edge possible with a guy who spins an electric curveball. I was saying I was not putting it past him. And then while also I saying put it past any team. that I exactly. And I was like, I don't have enough evidence to truly be like, Framber is cheating. No way. I was just saying, I don't want to just straight up look past this because it, it there was a lot of things that could lead you to believe that, that it was the case. And so that's my sense. I'm going to echo Rob Thompson sentiment here. 
like there's pro like process now in place that makes it impossible to get or very difficult to get away with it. And it has to be such a small nuance to get away with it. I mean, we, we've really seen the total crackdown with the way that they are able to check these guys. I, I really look at it from this standpoint. If you're able to figure something out on Twitter if, over the umpire who is literally massaging this guy's hand and watching every move and they have spotters as well, looking at all of the same shit. I, I just don't think it's, it's worth really speculating unless they have something. That's why Thompson was like, I'm not going to ask them to go check on him because they're doing enough. Like they, the, the process in place is enough when it comes to the Astros. I think that the baseball community in general, like a lot of the baseball community still suffers from like Astros derangement syndrome and it's like, well, it's like confirmation <laughs> bias. It's like everybody is looking for the Astros to do, like if you did this with any other team, I could dig up any other team. And if we watch them with as much of a fine tooth comb and a, as we do with the Astros, we'd find all of the same weird things that we love to just point out now with the Astros. And I think that's where we've gotten. And I think it should be. And the reason why, you know, I got so annoyed with it is like Framber Valdez is pitching one of the more incredible postseasons we've seen from a youngster arguably as good as the one he had last year too he just went six and a third and struck out nine and gave up one earned run and we got to be talking about how he maybe subtly cheated in a way that got by the umpire is like because he did certain things which by the way pitching ninja dug up the video he's just kind of crazy for amber is <laughs> just a weirdo he's just i love how he blames it on like dominican tendencies like he's just like this is how we play. Like we're, but which is true though. Like these guys have a lot of their little patterns and routines that they do. Um, and I think Pitching Ninja had the video on it though. But I also just love Framber, so that's what got me into it too. I've got pitching. Yeah, I love Framber too. So I, I don't know if that's like bias on me my too. end, but yeah. I, so I, I said, what was my first text in the group chat before everyone started jumping? Was it on love? Was it love, Framber, comma, butt? No, no. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. Name me five left-handed starters better than Framber Valdez. At what? Yeah, cheating? Yeah. <laughs> Going See, I want the listeners hand. to know that they won't even let me be me. They won't even <laughs> let me have takes because the Astros derangement syndrome, that is phenomenal, but that's but, a great word. Hey, but can on. you blame them? Can you blame? Can you blame people? We had I don't think same, that you can just blame people for that. We had this same exact conversation after the Astros swept the Yankees, right? Bob Costas brought it up right away. Okay, <laughs> fair. We had the same exact conversation, and that's a better way to put it. It's the Astros derangement syndrome. It is the Astros are now baseball's least favorite team because of what happened five years ago. Again, three guys left over from that team right now. Uh, Bregman, Altuve, and Yuli Gurriel. That's it. And Verlander. Was he cheating when he gave up five runs? <laughs> so hey, here's the other thing. Yeah, I mean, Rob Friedman put out a 48-second montage from his first start of the season of Framber going to his glove hand and, like, getting sweat and probably mixing it with rosin because, you know what? That's entirely fucking legal. Go That's to legal. sweat and rosin however you want. Um, so, yeah, I like, I don't want to dwell on this and what i said um to you guys oh, you want that, to dwell on this though oh he does he does yeah he wants he to, wants just to dwell want to dwell on it he wants to dwell on not like not dwelling yeah. on it. like that's what he, he's like I, you know i don't want to be talking about this but I, i'm gonna well, talk let's about talk this. about like, it oh yeah like, you're, you're such <laughs> you guys a martyr are just, you guys are just pissed that this fits into the editorial agenda of a baseball podcast and you guys don't want to talk about it i'll talk oh. about it you, I just, you just did. You just did for a while. Do you ever, do you I ever just think about the, the 
you know, maybe those the, the beads on his hair or like the the metal clasps on his hair could have something within though. You know, maybe there's a little substance in there. They should check. They should that, do the Karen too. Jack check. Yeah, right. They checked <laughs> the Karen, Karen Jack. Jack check. We already had an umpire comb through a guy's hair. This well, year. I heard that in the locker room they have a full oak tree in Houston that they get tree sap off. <laughs> they of. just grab yes. it. Yeah, they yes. just grab it. Like, I mean, is that cheating? Well, and no. they constantly have a two-liter bottle of Coke Zero boiling on the stovetop. <laughs> no, I think they drink it. So then when they just sweat out stickiness, like yeah. it just that would, that's extra genius. sticky. <laughs> if you could that's exude genius. stickiness, are you how, how committed are you to cheating? If I you mean. do that, I'm fully in. That's what I'm saying. Also, like if you can get by these new. Like let's let's assume they even did try something. If you can get by these new rules that are so strict, yeah, I almost feel like that's like a nuance of the game at this. I point. also want baseball so, is a game of cheating. Yeah, like at the end of the day too, it is a game well, of getting that little. That's why I hate. I still teams. I still accuse the White Sox of cheating every single week ever since the Black Sox scandal. I I mean look what they did this year. Yeah, they literally threw baseball games all over again. Yeah, we, we just saw form. the White Sox throw games again. Where's the investigation? Just I'm like the Black it. Sox ancestors. Yeah, I'm not over it. Um, okay, so we'll <laughs> we'll talk about the game now. We can talk about the game now. Um, yeah, and it last thing I promise, last thing that I want to say oh on this. I have I have four more things after you. Oh, about you. it. So you say, oh my god, this is like actually quick. Twenty seconds. There is a private check that umpires do. Right, touch their hands. There is a public check that anybody can do. Go to Baseball Savant. Look at the game feed. Look at the spin rate. Framber spin rates were fucking normal. They were totally normal, but they were a little bit up, but you can attribute that to adrenaline. It's much. That's why I wasn't even putting that in. Yeah. But with that same point, when you guys were saying like, oh, it's because the Astros were across the chest. Hold on. I was done. Oh, no, no, I'm not done now with the Astros thing across the chest. I did say in the group chat, the Joe Musgrove thing is interesting because then after the game, they said, what was on yours? And he said, I don't know. I cut it at 21. You're good. keeping it going. I stopped. That was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you know Cole Komet pitched <laughs> at Notre Dame? Yeah, I did. I just did that, I dive. that video. Buzzer. I tweeted. I'm going to start doing that more. I just tweeted a random video of Spencer Torkelson hitting a single off of Cole Komet. Yeah. That was cool. And I had a well strikeout, but it was like less cool. Bears right. played well against the Cowboys. Yeah. That's why I tweeted it. Cowboys how do we, uh, how do we feel about Wheeler struggling a bit? That's what, okay. So this is a question. Would you be surprised if like almost every single stud starter, like doesn't really put out a great start? I know Framber did. Um, but for the most part, like, I don't know if we can expect any of these guys to just shove. I, Wait, I don't know if it's going to happen real quick. I want to go back to the sticky stuff for a moment. Me too. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you know how many people just open their app back up to, to turn our fucking podcast off? <laughs> I don't think many. Um, so you are not shocked that Wheeler put in a, a subpar start here? I, I am to a degree, but now I'm like thinking about it and I'm like, maybe just no one's going to shove like other than, than Framber Valdez. I, I, I don't know. Do you expect McCullers to shove? We'll talk about the next game. McCullers and, and Syndergaard later today. Uh, obviously not. Um, I, I just think it might be one of those series where the offense is so dialed in on both sides. Yeah. They're seeing the ball so well. Like, is Noah going to be magically better in his second outing? Is Verlander magically going to be way better in his second outing? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. And Wheeler was okay, but obviously four runs isn't going to cut it in five innings. I don't know. I just don't know if, if any starter is really going to dominate this series in an outing. It seems to be like this off. these offenses are just grinding you out too hard. 
one thing that I really wanted to talk about Wheeler, because I've said this, you know, now and what feels like the entire postseason is, is I keep going back to why I thought Wheeler was the best pitcher in this postseason was this additional velo tick up, right? Where he was 97 to 98 miles an hour, possibly getting nines out of him, like touching 99. But in this game, his fastest pitch was 96.8 miles an hour. Mm. Most of the pitches he was throwing were between 94 to 96. I'm not saying that he's not fully healthy. I I truly don't know. I just kind of wanted to unpack that, that in that start, he did not look like the same Zach Wheeler. Will that velocity return? Because that's very, very important for Wheeler is to locate up in the zone with incredible heat because he already has such great extension. So that 98 looks like 101. But when you're 95, 96, that then looks like 98, which guys can definitely time up. So that is something there that I want to keep eyes on. The reason why I was so enamored with what Wheeler was doing was because of that incredible velocity he was displaying, but he did not display that in game two. What's interesting is the slider was up. I just pulled it up as you're saying that. Slider velo was up. Sinker Velo was down on average about a, a half a mile per hour, which which is a lot because you know he didn't. And that's throw on that average from pitches. the regular season, right? Yeah, Not from on the regular season, from the playoffs and the playoffs exactly. He was even more juiced, and and yeah. I think, like you said, that was why he was was so dominant. Um, it's funny because as you were about to bring that up, I was going to highlight the fact that he only threw sixty nine pitches. So nice. you would assume you have a more fresh Wheeler going into his next outing. Uh, and maybe that was something they noticed, like, hey, his velo is down a little bit. We could probably get another inning out of him, but like, let, let's kind of cut it short here, go to the bullpen and try to fight back in this one. And then by the time we get Wheeler up next time around, either it's going to be he pitches on short rest, which would be tough if they're fighting for their lives because they drop the next two. Or, you know, he gets a full rest, comes back in and, you know, has a lighter workload to come off of and might be looking fresh again. So I do like that he only threw 69 pitches because I think that's something that, you know, should give him a fresher turnaround. And what I will say is Nola got kind of crushed by the home run ball by Kyle Tucker. Philly's defense did not do Wheeler any favors in the early going, to put it lightly. What did you make of the immediate ambush? The double from Altuve, the double from Pena, the double from Alvarez? That was incredible. I was, was just like, wild. look at the Astros. Look how good they are. Shit. Like the Astros are so, so good. They can get you just bang, bang, bang. And yeah. like, as soon as I turned it on, like I was at the party and I was like, please turn on the baseball game. Please turn on the baseball game. I need to watch every second of this. They turn it on immediately Altuve double, like turned it on lights flashed up, got to the game. So I was slightly late, immediate double. And then immediate double from Pena. Then Jordan. It just shows how quickly the Astros can just bam like bum rush you was awesome and how so, good they are at game planning yeah because yeah, you could tell they I had lo- to attack wheeler early i i love that jack mentioned that because you could tell it was a tangible plan wheeler throws a ton of strikes right and and sometimes the best pitch you're going to see from wheeler is the first yeah right there they were all over that and then wheeler had to adjust from that because he was aware that they were ambushing him and all of a sudden he walks three guys he only throws 41 strikes on 69 pitches which for his you know standards is is not as good it's and terrible I think it definitely it I think it got to him. I, I really do think so. It was more than just what they did in the box score. It also forced Wheeler to, you know, not trust immediately really change attacking these guys and try to change how he's attacking them. We talk about so many guys that struggle in the first in, in the first inning. And that's why Nerfies and your fees are bets, right? No runs first inning, yes, runs first inning. 
Um, The first inning is the hardest inning for a starting pitcher. The ninth inning is the hardest inning to pitch in baseball. But the first inning is the second hardest inning to pitch in baseball because you need to set the tone. You need to see an offense blind. Yes, you can have as many scouting reports as you want. You can watch as much tape as you want. When you face a guy for the first time that night, that is unique in the vacuum, right? You watch as much film as you possibly do, getting prepped for a football Saturday or a football Sunday. As soon as that first hit is laid, it's a game that you're playing now. It's not played on tape anymore. That's how baseball works, too. You Darvish, a terrible first-inning pitcher. His entire career, an awful first-inning pitcher. Zach Wheeler is usually so good at getting through the first inning, and that is the biggest thing for a starting pitcher's momentum. And for Houston to jump on him the way they did and have the results they did, three straight hits is one thing. Three straight doubles is another thing. And Wheeler's confidence has to shoot way down after that Alvarez double. The other thing that I want to point out here is Jeremy Pena is officially a fucking dude. Can we acknowledge that? His only issue is chasing outside of the zone. Once he figures that out, which he will because he's still 25 years old, he is such a dude. Shout out the dog in arms. Go background. get the dog. Someone go get the dog. <laughs> yeah. Arm, while you go get the dog, I want to talk about Alex Bregman for a second. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you, Mr. Bregman. Thank you. I had the over three and a half through the first five innings at plus money. Yeah. Bottom of the fifth inning, it's 3-0, which they got off Wheeler in the first inning. Then I had to watch four innings of scoreless baseball rooting for this over. And what does Alex Bregman do? Basically a walk-off home run for me, even though it just made Houston up 5-0, won me the bet. And what it did for Alex Bregman was give him the most home runs by a third baseman in World Series history. Alex Bregman and I made history. Mostly me. <laughs> Shout out no. Alex Bregman. So I saw another, yet another defensive back look into a camera after an interception today and say, I'm him. Do you feel like him or is Alex Bregman him? How can you not? I would say, so in the word him, he gets the H and the M. I'm the I. That's okay. There's an I in him. There's an I in him and it's me. And I will say it's amazing what these Astros guys (laughs) have done. Uh, in regards to just compiling in the postseason, it's crazy because, you know, it feels like Bregman, obviously he's a vet. You, you're talking, we've talked about his evolution. Peter kind of just set the stage of, you know, what he did on that home run, both in the short term and the long term to show what he's done. But it's amazing that at 28, 29 years old, you know, a little bit older for Altuve and, and Correa, who's no longer with them. Uh, it's crazy that how many at bats they've compiled at this point so many. at such a young age, because so the Astros many. are so fucking good every year. And also that these guys have all put up, pretty steady offensive numbers and just continue to be good, you know, at the plate. And and that's why for me, I think Bregman, if they win this, I still think Bregman's going to be the MVP. I know we saw that big performance from Tucker, but I think if if the Astros put up a goose egg, he put a goose egg in game two. And I think Bregman could be the guy, but yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that because he really has been a dude for them in the big moments. And and especially this year, I think he's going to take them, you know, kind of as far as they need to go. And like you mentioned, he's been consistent. 975 OPS in the first series, 975 OPS in the second series, identical slash lines in both of those series with identical at-bats. And then so far in the World Series, a 1,000 OPS through those first two games. So he has been spectacular. Game three is going to be pretty weird. 
Yes, super weird. I, I want to talk about it real quick. We'll give you our predictions, but I do want to go back to something that I said in our World Series preview. I said game four is going to be the biggest tell in this series, and I want to change that game number to game three. Game mm -hmm. three is the biggest tell in this World Series now. Rob Thompson opted for Noah Syndergaard in game three, Ranger Suarez in game four. We were having the conversation. Okay, well, it's Nola game one, Wheeler game two, Ranger game three. Who's going game four? Is it Nola again? Or do you try your luck with a Syndergaard or a Falter? And we said, if he goes to Nola, that is awesome for Philly's mojo, for Philly's energy. Syndergaard, not game four, but Syndergaard game three scares the shit out of me. Yeah. I Rob Thompson has proved time and time again this postseason that he is an exceptional manager. But this one's a head-scratcher for me. I'm not sure why he did it. What I will say, to counter that, while the Phillies do have a massive, massive disadvantage in the starting pitching department in Game 3, if they do somehow win this Game 3, all the momentum is on their side because they won a game with Noah Syndergaard. And I wouldn't put it past them either. Um, a couple of things. First, I want to address, good job, us. We said they'd split. Good job, us. Two... I wouldn't be surprised if Syndergaard pitches kind of well because we give him a lot of I shit. Would. I'd be deservedly stunned. so. Deservedly so, we give him a lot of shit um, because he's deserved plenty of shit. But I want to highlight his game one start, or not game one, his lone start in the playoffs so far. Pitched okay. Didn't go very long, but gave them three, four innings, one run ball. Like, I would not be surprised if he goes one time through the lineup, allows one run, then gives it over to Zach Eflin or someone like that because a guy like Zach Eflin does have starting rotation. He's been in the rotation. He has that experience there. Or you go to – or no, Ranger's going to pitch game four, which is yeah. – I just – I kind of – yeah, I, I don't really understand. That's why I kind of want to unpack this more. But on the same side, I just have a feeling that Syndergaard won't get blown up. I don't know I why. Mean, he's, he's pitching – as good as he, I know it's only what five and a third innings we have to, to yeah. work with total in the postseason so far. But you know, in those five and a third innings, he's only given up one run and he's punched out four. So he's looked better. Um, we know he's capable of of you know rising to the occasion, but he just doesn't look like that guy anymore. He seems like a shell of himself. But at the same time, he did have a three nine four. I know the underlying stats stink. But he had a 394 ERA and 134 in, a two, in two thirds innings this year. Wasn't like he was a disaster, but he struck out 95 and walked 31. And basically every single possible statistic is alarming. And he averaged nine hits allowed per nine. So we literally gave up more than a hit per inning. This is a, the lineup that you would assume would tee off. I'm guessing they want him to go one time through. But how do you go to the bullpen from there? Do you want to deplete your bullpen in a game where? You know, it could get you could be playing from behind. Uh, you still hope that you can score, but McCullers, you know, I think they can get to McCullers, but at the same time, he has the capability of turning in a very quality start. So, how do the Phillies navigate this and how do the Phillies eat those innings after Syndergaard? I'm sure they're hoping he'll go five, he'll probably go closer to three or four. Who pitches the rest of those innings to get to the back end of the bullpen if Ranger for sure is pitching game four? So what I will say is um, thank you to you guys that have been listening all year long and have been watching baseball all year long. Um, I know that we may have some new listeners for the World Series, right? I know, I know that we may have some people that latched on for the postseason that I really want to get immersed in postseason baseball. We love this you. Is, 
We love you. This is not the Noah Syndergaard that you might recall from his Mets days. An entirely different Noah Syndergaard just resurfaced this year after Tommy John. And just walking you through velocity on the fastball and Ks per nine. When he first broke in, 24 starts in 2015, 10 Ks per nine, averaged 98 on the fastball. 2016, averaged 99 on the fastball. 2017 in seven starts, averaged 99.6 miles an hour on the fastball, Mm. 10 Ks per nine. This year, 6.3 Ks per nine, and he's averaging 94.5 miles an hour on his fastball. That doesn't even seem right. He's not even I've seen 90, 91 from him. He's not Thor anymore. He's Noah Syndergaard. Yes, that's a good way to put it. He is now Noah Syndergaard. He is not Thor. What I will say is this is the worst split for the Astros, and it wouldn't seem like it, right? They've teed off on Wheeler. They've teed off on Nola. But really, where the Astros have made their money, at least in the regular season, is against lefties. That's why I was terrified if they were going to go to Bailey Falter. And I think there's a reason why they're going Noah Syndergaard, not Bailey Falter, is because Bailey Falter against the Astros is a recipe for disaster. Noah Syndergaard against the Astros, I don't know if it is. And one more thing about McCullers, too, is that the one thing that you can knock McCullers for, and I guess his one kryptonite, is his command issues, right? Yeah. In Philly, if you're walking, guys, you get two runners on and then Bryce Harper hits on Ramon, that's 3-0. Bang. So I do lean towards runs like you're going to find my – um. by the time you're listening to this, maybe Monday morning, you'll my picks will be out on JustBaseball.com. I'm still very in between. I really want to dive deeper into how I think Syndergaard will pitch. Um, but I did find the line interesting. Again, like Aram, I talked to Jack Peer Record. I don't know if you've seen the opening line yet. No, I haven't yet or, on that game. So I just, just to kind of gauge, because Jack gave me an answer that I actually wasn't expecting and kind of made me reconsider where I was leaning. So opening line, like, what do you think it would be? Like Astros minus what or plus? I think like I think Vegas has accepted that this series is going to be closer than, than everybody, including them, initially thought. I would say minus 130 in favor of the Astros. It's exactly what it is. It's like minus 135, minus wow. 130. Okay. See, for Look me, you, you line setter. For me, you saw minus 170 in Verlander. You saw minus 140 in Framber against Nolan Wheeler. And then we have Syndergaard McCullers, where there's an obvious difference there. And I know home road, of course, that has to deal with it too. I was thinking Astros would be minus 150. So I thought to myself, are they telling us something? But maybe I overvalued it. That's why I'm thinking to myself, how will Noah Syndergaard pitch? Maybe the Astros will just win, and we're getting a discount on the line, and at least in my opinion. Or- I think, I, no, it's a great question, and I think ultimately why it's closer is that you look at this game, it's going to be won by the bullpens. I really think so. Even with McCullers, uh, I think the way the Phillies have looked, even if Syndergaard, let's say, struggles, He's not going to be allowed to struggle to the point that he gives up five runs, right? He's out of there before he gives up the fourth run, unless it's a grand slam, right? I really think it's three runs, they pull him, whatever. McCullers, he's easily going to to go five, six at most, right? So even if you're trailing by two, three, you could get get one or two on McCullers. You're going to be playing from behind, but it's going to be close enough. And we saw the last couple of games, like the, the Phillies have been able to get to this bullpen at certain points or get to the starters late in their outings. I think they just feel like, the the starting pitching matchup is not as important because both these guys could be out of there by the fifth. And then it's all about the bullpens and both offenses have been locked in. I'm really curious. My concern is 
again, how do the Phillies get to the eighth and ninth with their relievers if Syndergaard only goes three, uh, which is a very realistic possibility. He's more likely to go three than he is to go six. How do you get to the seventh and eighth inning even if Syndergaard only gives you three? I think we're going to see Bailey falter. See that then you lost. I know, you but lost. I mean, I'm just I'm kind of answering your question with yeah, who I think no, would come I, in, right? If that's like what if it is, they, then they have Alvarado, Eflin, Robertson, Dominguez, and that's let's say that's five innings, which yeah. can happen. And yeah, that you got to fill two somehow. You got to fill Brogdon two. again. It could be Brogdon. It could be Bilotti. Like they could Eflin go have, like two and two. Eflin thirds. could go three, and he could. Yeah, he's he a star. Eflin so was I, a star. I think there is a way of of. Like there's a path to victory here for Philly. Um, but again, like the Astros bullpen looks so good once again. Montero, Presley, Naris, Abreu. These guys look amazing. I'm just marveling at the TV watching these guys come in one after another, thinking to myself, it must be an impossible at bat to go up against these flamethrowers. We tell you all nasty in different ways. It's crazy. Crazy. Get in the door price. What do you think? Get in the door price for Philadelphia. I'm going to go 900 bucks. I'm going to go. That feels high. I know, but I I heard that these tickets were setting records. So I 900. Get in the door. That's that's absurd. I'll go. Get in the door, door, bro. Like there's some (laughs) shitty seats. There's some really shitty seats. I'm going to say 300. You both. I changed my answer. Can Sorry. I change my answer? Oh, you you kind of gave it away. That's yeah, six hundred was my answer. Six hundred dollars. Sixty-seven. Peter uh-huh. wins. I win. Um, get in the door. You like if you want to see a couple ants on the field. Six sixty-seven. What is I've this? I've heard that Philly fans ants? are driving to Houston. That drove to Houston because it was cheaper. No, it is. It is. I, I was actually surprised when I went to the World Series last year. Um, you know, it's obviously obviously expensive, but there all the time. Affordable. Yeah, exactly. It's become they're taking it for granted a little bit. I mean, dude, it was like when when I when the Heat were good. Um, not this year. When the Heat were good with LeBron, the first round of the playoffs was like a like a casual like pregame Regular for people before game, they yeah. went to the club. Like it was just like it was like you'd see people like in dresses and high heels, guys in like they're going out attire because it was like it's just it's a, almost like a preseason game. Um, but you know, the Astros have been there so many times now they're used to it, but I guarantee you see it gets to game six and seven, which looks like we're going to get that. I'm going to be excited to see those ticket prices, uh, in Houston, because it seems like this is going to be what we were hoping a knock on what I hope I don't jinx it. Cause these next three games are going to be very defining. And here's, I guess my last question, we have to do the predictions, but let's assume that the Phillies lose this next one, just for the sake of this question. How concerned are you about the Phillies, or is this the one that they kind of should lose in some ways? I'm very concerned. If I almost one, think yeah. this is the one that they should lose. That's what I think. Because, I think it's the one they should because, lose. Yeah, because then you have combinations of Ranger, Nola, Wheeler. That's where you win games anyway. Were you expecting to win the Syndergaard McCullers start? I don't know but... if you were. So I'm not that I'm not that nervous because I still do think if they were to lose this game they still very easily could take two of three in Philly. But, 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 Peter, you have constantly said how good the Astros are against left-handed pitching. And you yes, got a I Ranger have. game four. Yes, that is scary. That is scary. That is scary. Then you have, then you have Javier, who has been very, very good. But I said yeah. at the beginning, as good as Javier has been, he is still young. 
he is still a human. And what I've, and you know, I, I've gotten some flack for this and like, all I can do is just tell you what I think. Yeah. The haters um, are just shitting on you left and right. Right. Watching playoff baseball. I think that this Philly environment, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you tell me if there's another scenario that you thought that was, that was a better home field advantage than the Phillies have in citizens bank. Who's in the giving last, you flack for that? You know, I'm on TikTok live talking about oh, this okay, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, like, no, what about this place and this place? And I'm like, in what about my Cameron opinion, Indoor? <laughs> that's also a pretty good one. Bro, you got to see from Brian what I've seen, on a Saturday night. <laughs> from what I've seen, because there's people out there who just won't agree with me. And that's fine. I, I don't care. What I, from my opinion, I think that the Citizens Bank home field advantage is as big as any home field advantage that I've seen in the playoffs. And that's ever and that's eye test that's not expected decibels no 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 peter's got that decibel like the the decibel counter out there there. he's out there like tuned in like (laughs) tracking it we've never seen this before (laughs) um all right Uh, i'll tell you what happens because i already saw it (laughs) i already saw it i absolutely love that um no so it'll be me arm peter what shakes out so wh- I will agree with you. Like this environment's going to be stupidly crazy. And McCullers command issues. My mind immediately goes to command issue in raucous environment, Bluebell Park in College Station, yep. Texas. Yep, Texas A&M. I was thinking the same thing. Ball five, ball six, ball seven. They chant it after a four-pitch walk. That's the type of environment. That's the type of juiced-up experience. I think this is going to be closest to a college football, college baseball environment that you can find in professional sports, whether it be NFL football, obviously you're not getting it in the NBA. Playoff hockey is great, but this is going to be the best environment in professional sports in mm-hmm. quite some time. I don't think that gets to McCullers because McCullers has pitched in so many big games at such a young age. And if Philly is going Syndergaard to falter. McCullers and Hunter Brown can combine for seven innings here. Another young guy, though. Like, maybe McCullers. But I think what you were saying about Wheeler, when that confidence goes down the drain with a little blip right there, and then you have the fans on him. Also, the fans that are off a 35-13 win for the Eagles over the Steelers. Bottom eight. They're greasing the poles in Philly. I'm saying if he runs into command issues just slightly – First inning walk, they're going to be on him. I don't want anybody talking to me during the bottom of the first inning because the bottom of the first inning is going to be the most important (laughs) half inning of this game. I think the first inning is the most impactful first inning in playoff baseball history. I'm going to give you a call. I'm going to give you a call right in the bottom of the first so we can talk more about the sticky substance situation. With I'm in. I'm in. You know I love talking about it, even though I tell you that I don't. If I see one RPM ticked up slightly. Oh, I'm I'm going straight to Twitter. I'm going to Twitter, Fred. We're going after you. (laughs) So one thing I do want to say, the last thing on it, um, I love the top of the order that the Phillies have. If you have a McCullers who's, you know, fighting some command issues, Schwarber walks with the best of them. Hoskins does not expand the zone. JT Real Muto, he chases a little bit, but he's he's JT right now. He's locked in. And then Bryce Harper uh, is a guy that's really patient. Then Nick Cassianos fucks up my whole point. Correct. Five hole. Correct. Who swings at everything. And Ryan Miller, our our guy, you know, at at just baseball as well, college baseball stuff. And he he said it best. Start him 0-2. Like Cassianos is not locked in until it's 0-2, and then all of a sudden he decides to be a hitter. Uh, it's it's unbelievable to see. 
how quickly that guy goes 0-2. No, but I agree with you on the early plate discipline from Philly. Um, but it's Set just the like, like really would any of us be shocked if it's top of the first inning and you go to the bottom and it's 3-0 Astros? No, I'm not, not even shocked close. at all. Not but then would you also like, oh, be shocked? This is what we expected. Would then you also be shocked if after the first inning is over, it's three three? No, I'm taking the overall. Put me on record over eight. I'm taking it. I do. I do feel like that is the best play in this game um, because I do think that we will see a version of Bailey Falter unless Syndergaard gives you four innings of one run. I do think that it's possible that we do see Hunter Brown and as good and as talented as he is. How will a young pitcher like that with almost He's looked a no little spooked in some spots? He has looked a little in, spooked. I cannot get over the Citizens Bank Park. Like this <laughs> will be the craziest environment. And we're just going to see fireworks in game three. I think it's I'm so excited. Rested bullpen too. Uh, sorry. One last thing, Jack, before I forget, I, they, they have the extra day off. And yep. in that loss, the silver lining is they only went to Bilotti, Brogdon and hand all of them through 14 pitches or less. And they have that extra day off. Their whole bullpen's pretty rested. I, it's all hands on deck. So to answer my question a little bit of what I was asking before, who do they go to? They could be all hands on deck for the most part and still have guys available for the next day as well with a starter that they should feel more confident in. So that that does help. If Eflin gives them a couple innings, I think they'll be okay bullpen-wise. That's why I'm thinking first five over. Because then when you get to, like, for example, had the first five over in game two game ended on seven runs because of that bullpen. Like, I feel like if you play over, you play over based on the starters. Like, these bullpens are going to come in, and I think they're still going to pitch very well. Okay. Every link you need is in the episode description, October 15th for your Just Baseball merch. Score, no reason why. Just tell me who wins what score. Arm, you first. 6-4, Phillies. Okay, Peter. Funny, I was going 6-5 Phillies. Okay. 7-4 Astros. And with that, thank you, everybody. <laughs>